Welcome to the Hopeless Wonder Podcast Extra, episode 19, with me, Adam Gipke, Craig Rogers, and Andy McBride. And hello, listener. We hope you're having a good weekend or week wherever you're listening to us right now. So, a uh, number of victories, guys, to reflect on. But before we do that, we'll have to introduce you to our new guest this week. So, joining us from all the way in Berlin and the host of the well-known Bundesliga Diaries podcast, we welcome to the show Jonathan Radcliffe. So, uh, Jonathan, really appreciate your appearance on the pod. Uh, we'll be talking all things German football shortly, I'm sure. Um, but more importantly, how have you been keeping? Yeah, not too bad, you know, just trying to uh, get through lockdown, I think. <laughs> like everybody else, looks like there's a bit of light in the tunnel now. So, you know, hopefully... Hopefully soon things will start going back to the new normal, whatever that is. Definitely, definitely. And uh, the Bundesliga has been full of like eventful things going off as well, which I'm sure we'll reflect on shortly. Um, but let's move on to another bombshell that happened in Scotland. So, Craig, I know you'll be celebrating more wildly this weekend for sure. Um, but yeah, co- big congrats from us on the show for your season. Um, has the celebrations helped you like kind of appreciate a bit more and make it feel a bit more real? Um, it did because we said in the pod that it just was a bit of a slow procession almost from the new year old firm game and I didn't really know how I was going to react when it eventually happened but when we went on, on Saturday afternoon and seeing the celebrations outside iBooks, um, seeing those those images on television really just brought it all home and, and added to the celebrations down here, I'm honest. But yeah, an excellent, excellent weekend to be a Rangers supporter. Amazing to hear. And Andy, you were full of celebration yourself on that Sunday. Uh, kind of, yeah, Solskjaer pulled it out of the bag, like living and breathing his inner Alex Ferguson. Um, we'll reflect a bit more on that shortly, but you'll also have to re- like kind of reflect to the listener around Tex Sanchez and Shulberto Carlos. So, um, Apart from that, mate, how have you been? Yeah, I, mean, I was just happy we scored a goal for the first time in about <laughs> five years. Um, so, yeah, that's all good. But no, um, I'm keeping good. Uh, I'm sort of holding out um, on uh, going before I can go to the hairdressers because <laughs> my beard's out of control. My hair's out of control, what's left of it anyway. Uh, but on the on the brighter side of life, I've uh, booked in to play five-a-side football at the end of the month. So literally one day after <laughs> the uh, lockdown eases slightly, I'll be like straight on the football pitch. Uh, I'm absolutely buzzing for that. Good stuff. So yeah, a bit of a return to some degree of normality. <laughs> right, lads, lots to cover off. So we'll start off with our favourite hunting ground, and that is the Premier League. Um, thought we'd start off by talking about Liverpool. They've now gone six on the bounce in terms of losses, um, completely devoid of any spark and fight. And um, they're probably looking for the end of the season right now. Um, they're five points off West Ham, who are on fifth place. And the game, games, you know, likes of, say, Spurs, Everton, and even West Ham have a game over them. Um, there seems to be a huge concern around whether Klopp's still going to be there. And I'm sure we'll touch into Jonathan to get his thoughts on this. But I suppose to start off with, do we feel now we've got to a point where it's not all Klopp, it's got to be the players that take a form of responsibility for the way they're playing right now? If I start off with yourself, Andy, I mean, what what do you think Klopp can do any more right now? Because he even changed up the lineup for that Fulham match, but 
Fulham just seem more hungrier. And I've granted Fulham are fighting for their lives, but yeah, just nothing seems to be getting that squad together or getting them to kind of get that win right now. So what's your thoughts on that? I think it's difficult to pin it down to one specific problem, I would say. Um, I think with Liverpool, if you they've got used to playing more or less the same kind of lineup for about two or three years consecutively. And they've been fortunate to an extent that they've not really had any major injuries to their key players. You know, I'm talking like two, three, four, five month injuries, you know, um, and they've largely been all right. Now, part of the problem is that when parts of that front three of Mane, Salah, Firmino, you know, aren't quite firing in all cylinders, um, I think the only one that's probably been relatively consistent this season is still Mohamed Salah, you know, who's obviously absolutely fantastic. Um, and what we're seeing now is part because of the corona, um, you know, the fixtures being a lot more condensed, uh, playing, you know, full you know, heavy metal football week in, week out is not working. And because mm-hmm. he's had to rely on the, um, you know, the wider squad, I think um, a few shortcomings have been highlighted as, as a result of that. Because uh, ultimately, you can only play with the hand that you're dealt with. And, you know, with the greatest of respect to the likes of, say, like Nat Phillips, uh, under a normal circumstance, he wouldn't be anywhere near getting into Liverpool's starting lineup for big league games or Champions League games, but he is at the moment. Mm. Um, and that, you know, I think a lot of that is sort of poor planning from, you know, the higher ups at Liverpool, really. Um, and I think Klopp as well. I mean, it's probably a bit of speculation, but I think he's probably, you know, mentally exhausted as well as the players, you know, to put all that effort into winning the league last season. And then, you know, the sort of Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, you know, on top of the stuff that Klopp has gone through personally, on top of the injury issues for likes of Van Dijk, it's just, um, I think with a lot of Liverpool fans that I've seen on Twitter, they're sort of writing off the league and treating the Champions League um, as sort of a way out of it. Because the last time they finished out of the top four, I uh, was back in 2005 mm. and they won the Champions League that season with Rafa Benitez. Um, and it wouldn't be a huge shock if they're trying to do that again, because you look at the performance, um, you know, in midweek, they looked more or less back to their normal selves again and they played really well. So um, I think that's where they're going to put all their eggs in the Champions League basket. I was listening to, I think it was James Priest, it was, I think saying that he'd almost rather Liverpool just finish out of um, the top, out of Europe completely for next season and Mm -hmm. just start with like a sort of a cleaner slate. But yeah, I think um, it's far, far too early to be questioning Klopp's position, I think. You know, mm. let's let's not let's not forget that back in like 2011, they had Roy Hodgson, Andrew Vorin, and Stuart Downing <laughs> in their team. So things could be a hell of a lot worse for them. And um, Jonathan, I just wanted to get your thoughts in terms of how this is being portrayed in Germany, because certainly Klopp's got history around this kind of, you know, knackering his squads. I mean, I remember the Dortmund days where before he actually left, there was that kind of sense that he'd take them as far as he could. I feel it's not quite that yet with Liverpool, but I mean, there seems to be a lot going on in his personal life as well. That's probably not helping the situation. Um, But just curious from your point of view, how has it been perceived in Germany right now? Yeah, I mean, 
the main thing with Klopp and the talk with him at the moment is linked to the Germany job um, because obviously with Joachim Löw leaving, uh, the, the successor has been uh, talked about pretty much everywhere. I think a lot of people would like that to be Klopp, um, but he's already distanced himself from that. So in that respect, it seems to be, you know, he he doesn't want to take that job yet or isn't really thinking about it yet. In terms of, you know, Liverpool's performance um, this season, in his last season at Dortmund, for much of the season, they were struggling. You know, they, they were in the relegation zone um, for about half the season. They, I mean, they rallied in the second half of the season and, and got, I think, the Europa League, um, it was in the end. But, you know, it's not unheard of for a Jurgen Klopp team to kind of fall off the face of the earth um, during the season um, in, in that respect. However, um, Mikael Zork, who's on the board at Dortmund, um, was saying, you know, be careful what you wish for kind of thing um, in, you know, calling for Klopp's heads. You know, I think... Dortmund realised you know, how good he was. Um, since then, they've won one trophy since he's left. Um, and that was you know, when Tuchel was manager in 16-17, they won the cup. Um, but other than that, you know, they've not even been close, really, um, or certainly not on a regular basis to challenge him for the title. So I think that's what Liverpool need to be careful. You know, it's it's a bad run of form, certainly. Um, and, you know, it, it looks bad. I mean, there are only a handful of teams that have lost six home games in a row. But they've you know, they reached two Champions League finals in a row. They won one. They won the league for the first time in 30 years. And they picked up, a, what was it, 196 mm-hmm. points across two seasons. Um, you know, like, I think it needs to be a little bit of, you know, just, just yeah. be calm. Just, just be calm a little bit, you know, like... They've they've been desperate to win the league for years, and now all of a sudden it's the end of the world because they've lost a few <laughs> games in a row. Like, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters what he does this season. To yeah. be honest with you, you know, almost write it off. Like, you know, you're saying that some some of these folks who said that they should um, not quite not you know not end up in Europe next season. Fair enough, that'd be great. I reckon. Take stock, yeah. go at it again. Um, certainly don't get rid of Klopp because the, the guy the guy's a genius. You know, he's shown it. Um, at Liverpool and, and at Dortmund. So, um, yeah, I think just maybe calm. Just, like, wait wait a little bit before uh, any knee-jerk reactions come Definitely. out. And I think, Craig, we need to give a word for Fulham because, actually, their, like, form right now has been really strong. Uh, I was having a look at their fixtures and bar Saturday's upcoming fixture with Man City, they actually have a winnable run that will possibly get them out. But, I mean, more to the point, Fulham looks really good on the counter-attack. They seem to absorb a lot of the pressure. And they actually scored a really good goal as well, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They did. They scored a good goal. The boy took it well. I think we spoke in the pod that I think Fulham are probably going to stay up. I think the first time now after that win, they're not in the bookies' favourites to go down. I think they've just come. They're a little bit longer now than Newcastle or Brighton. Um, But, yeah, good goal. I think Scott Parker's probably looked at that starting back four for Liverpool and thought, we can have a real goal here. And credit to them, they've, they've went there, um, got the win. Winning at Anfield's obviously not as big a deal as it was two months ago. But credit to them, and I would really, really like to see them, like see them stay up. I really would. I think they've got credit to the Premier League and from that leaky defence that we saw in the first 10, 12 games of the season, um, I think Scott Parker's done, done an absolutely phenomenal job and Andy and Jonathan are absolutely correct. Liverpool fans just need to stop with the bed waiting a little bit. Jurgen Klopp doesn't become a bad manager overnight. Um, just take stock. And if you had said to a Liverpool fan in 2015, would you take three seasons of complete success and then one bad season? 
I think they would have all said yes. I don't think there's a Liverpool mm. fan who would have said no. So let's just take them for what it is. You also have to remember, from the World Cup in 2018, they've pretty much played non-stop. Mm. They've played endless football in the Premier League. They've been to finals in all the major trophies, all internationals. They've all played in African Cup of Nations. They've all been flying across to South America to play. The guys are just absolutely knackered. And if it takes the back end of this season and potentially next season to recharge, if Liverpool then go again and have three or four more seasons of dominance, I think Liverpool fans should absolutely bite your hand off and, and take that as given and, and go from there. So, yeah, a little bit of perspective, calm down um, and go again next year, I think. We'll move on to the Man United and Man City match. Now, uh, Andy, for you, we had a question from our good friends from the Anglo-Italia pod, uh, specifically from Rory. Um, he asked the previous week, which was, how boring are United? Now, after that result, they pulled that one out of the bag and I didn't personally see that happening. Um, before we get your thoughts, though, um, like for the other guys, and I suppose we'll bring it into Craig again, I mean, what what did you make of that performance? Because like certainly I felt like obviously looking at it, I mean, it just seemed to be Man United of old, really clinical, just taking their chances and being really good on the defensive, right? Yeah, I was really, really impressed with Manchester United on Sunday night. Um actually because I've I criticized them as recently as last week for being too negative in big games, not taking the initiative, not really going for it. And then thirty five seconds into the game they've got a penalty. And I thought, mm. oh, Christ, this is different. And I thought they were excellent. They were really, really good. I don't know what Gabriel Jesus is doing, making tackles in 30 seconds in his own box. Can you imagine Pep Guardiola just in the sidelines just thinking, what are you doing back there? We're 30 seconds into the game. Why are you there? Um, but Stonewall penalty, dispatched calmly. And I thought they were excellent. To a man, Harry Maguire had a great game. I thought Luke Shaw, yeah. I don't know if some, he's been watching Roberto Carlos videos in training or I don't know what he's been watching because he's been superb the last few weeks. I mean, if he'd have told me at Christmas time he'd be the, the stick-on for England's number one yeah. left-back at the Euros, I'd have probably laughed at you. Yeah. He's been excellent. Took his goal really, really well. But really, really impressed. And we were concerned that this might be another boring 0-0 draw. Mm. But credit to them and Solskjaer really went for it. Um, the Solskjaer's got a good record against Pep, though. I think that's yeah. the last three matches of Derby's he's won. So maybe it's not as much of a surprise as we thought. But, yeah, I'll, I'll hand over to Andy, who's, who's much more qualified to talk about United than I, but I thought it was an excellent performance. I really did. Yeah, I mean, Craig's sort of summed it up quite nicely, in all fairness. Um, I mean, he started with the same kind of lineup as we have done in the previous sort of big six games. So you've got McTominay and Fred starting defensive midfield. But I think the difference was the execution was uh, a bit different. Uh, one of the things I think, Pep Guardiola didn't quite expect is that normally we tend to sit in and hit on the counter, whereas um, Maguire and Lindelof push a lot higher mm. up. Um, now, where that maybe that's a training ground thing, maybe that's because Henderson is more willing to come off his line than De Gea is, uh, but there seems to be a bit more of a willingness to push higher up, and as a result, we're able to gain, you know, retain the ball in more, you know, more advanced positions up the pitch. Um, and I think, you know, you got the personnel right. I think, you know, uh, Roberto Carlos, as uh, a lot of United fans are calling him now, um, he, he's been great for a few months now. Um, you know, as well as he's always been quite solid defensively, mm. um, but he, he doesn't, you know, very cagey used to get caught out of position. But now he's, he's an all-rounder. You know, he gets up the pitch, he puts crosses in. I think since January, he's created the most, one of the, like the one, one of the highest chance creators in the Premier League, and that's for a left back. And if you think, you know, 
and say Andy Robertson has been the gold standard of left back in the Premier League, um, he's pro- he's arguably outperforming that. And yeah, you're right, he'd be 100% in the England squad starting at the moment, especially if they started with a flat back four. Mm. Uh, if they're talking wing backs, they might go Chilwell, but as a f- proper left back, done well. And Wan Bissaka, you know, those, his little duels with uh, Raheem Sterling are absolutely fascinating to watch. Um, I think Sterling got the better of him once or twice, but couldn't make the most out of the opportunity. Uh, but yeah, it was just an enjoyable performance. I think, um, you know, United have always been good at sitting back and hitting on the break, but it was just good to see us, you know, actually dominate the play. Um, and to do that against a Pep Guardiola side is really, really hard. Um, I thought Jane, you know, Dan James did a lot of good work defensively, a couple of times where he got the ball broke uh, quite nicely. Um, he seems to be getting adding a bit more composure. Um, you know, Marshall probably had his best game for months. I mean, he should have scored. Mm-hmm. I think there was a chance to make there was a chance to make it three 0 hit it straight at Edison. But his hold up play, um, bringing others in, is kind of what we've been wanting from him because normally he just kind of just stands there and goes, "Give me the ball." Um, but he was a bit more involved in the play. And yeah, it was just, I think to a man, everybody put in a shift. Uh, I think Henderson looked really um, authoritative. Um, as I've said, you know, in the last couple of weeks, he comes out for the corners, he comes out for the crosses. Um, you know, there was a, he, he put a really good distribution, like Shemichael style with a big long throw out to Shaw that started off the goal. Um, I feel that he's a bit more, seems to be a bit more suited to what United need at the moment. So, yeah, I think it was just, it was just nice to see a really good performance against a good team. Definitely. And it was quite a positive given that we're going into that match and we didn't have much hope for United really, but yeah, Solskjaer pulled it out of the bag. But let's also refer to your recent appointments. So most notably, you've appointed John Murto as your director of football, not a big name. And I'm sure there'll be a few question marks, but within United, actually, that's kind of not really a big, you know, worry because he's done some good stuff, hasn't he? Yeah, so um, United famously have had uh, three years ago when, um, well, getting on for three years ago when Mourinho left, they're like, yeah, we're going to get a director of football in. Well, finally, um, in United fashion, they have done. It seems that they've had a bit of a restructure um, in terms of, you know, there's a bit more clarity as to who does what. So Ed Woodward is still, uh, you know, the chief executive and ultimately the one that, you know, presumably signs everything off. But below him, you've got, um, was it John Murta? He done a, he came over with David Moyes back in as Everton. He's done a lot of work internally with um, you know youth with the youth development and that side of things. I um, mean, in terms of the youth side of it, uh, Darren Fletcher is coming in as a technical director. Um, you know, and he'll be more working more on the the football and the coaching side of it and bridging that gap along with Nicky Butt as to the like the link between the youth team and the first team. Um, so. On the face of it, is a positive. Um, I think there is a little bit of scepticism at the moment because below John Murta, there's Matt Judge, who's our head of transfer negotiations. Um, and I think it's fair to say transfer negotiations haven't been particularly fantastic over the years. Uh, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. And Edward Wood is still, you know, the guy signing them off ultimately. And obviously the Glazers are, you know, right at the top of the tree. So, you know, to look at it on the positive side, they're moving into the 21st century. Uh, the days of like Arsene Wenger and Alex Ferguson having, 
you know, iron fist over every single aspect of a club are over. Uh, clubs are too big an institution for that these days. Um, so it's good they've um, moved to a more refined structure that people can understand. I know a lot of people are, you know, looking at big names and things like that. But, you know, if you look at, you know, Bayern Munich, they've got ex, they've had ex-players for years, ex-players on the board and in positions of that, you know, a lot of fans have been demanding just purely for football people to be in football positions. Um, and the, but the proof in the pudding would just come in the summer. Uh, from a personal point of view, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, they have to go out and start bringing in the big names. I think all a lot of United fans really want is just competency. So we all we want to see really is just players bought in in a timely manner. So for when the, the manager starts pre-season, they've got his targets in. And if the manager does have targets, they try and get the number one targets, whoever that may be. Uh, we just we just want to see a little bit more of a refined strategy. So the proof would be in the pudding as to whether it's just uh, something a bit of PR to keep the fans happy. I think ultimately it will show in the business that we do in the future as to how effective that change will be. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a case of watch this space, but it is, on the mm. face of it, a positive move. And before we leave this section in terms of Man United, can you explain to listener who Vitek Sanchez is? <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a really good uh, Twitter um, United Twitter account called Alternative Man United Commentary. Um, and honestly, it's had to be in stitches. You know, you've got like um, different nicknames of players. You've got McTominay as Jarhead and Alex Tellers as Manbun. And in the commentary, um, he referred to uh, Riyad Mahrez as uh, B Tech Algerian Alexis Sanchez. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously, Gilberto Carlos for um, yeah for that reason. So it's, it's, it's sometimes been more entertaining than the actual games, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, yeah. it's um, all positive stuff. Definitely, and one we'd recommend to listener to actually subscribe to as well. And Jonathan, we'll bring you in at this point because your team, Chelsea, are impressive right now. Um, obviously. A German in charge as well. And I've got a stat here that says he's the first ever Premier League manager to achieve five clean sheets in his first five opening home matches, which must be impressive for you. Uh, Obviously, you guys won 2-0 against Everton. Um, But more notably, I think, obviously, it's interesting to see how Thomas Tuchel has been bringing and harnessing the talents like Kai Havertz. Obviously, much has been made of Timo Werner. Um, but yeah, just generally across the whole Chelsea squad, there seems to be a lot more togetherness, a lot more understanding around what they're doing now, because we covered in one of our p- previous pods around how there seemed to be this lack of understanding around what players were doing in certain scenarios as well. But yeah, obviously Thomas Tuchel has brought that tactical game to Chelsea mm. and obviously looking at the position, they're in a great position to actually press on now so um let's get your thoughts and more importantly what do you think of Thomas Tuchel's appointment as well yeah um I mean obviously you know get sacking Lampard was um I was disappointed at the time I thought he should have been given a bit more time um even if deep down I knew that he wasn't really the man for the job um you know it 
came at an early time in his career, really, um, and it was one that he couldn't turn down. Fair enough. And he he le- he left the job with his legacy still intact. You know, he did a really good job in in the first season to get top four with the transfer ban, um, and you know his legacy really is bringing through some of the younger players like Reese James um, and Mason Mount in particular at the two. Um, so yeah, you know, I to be fair, I, I could see Tuchel being appointed. As soon as he was sacked from PSG, it just seemed to be on the cards. You know, it wasn't really working um, for Lampard at Chelsea, unfortunately. And um, he was the big name manager that was kind of um, on the market. He's come in and, yeah, I, we we look so much better, so much more organised. It's, it's interesting. I mean, it's not really interesting. It should be obvious. But... Um, you know, of what a qualified manager can do um, when given hundreds of millions of pounds worth of talent, um, which is what he has. You know, if you look at look at the squad that we have, then there is absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be absolute guaranteed top four and looking at putting on a real title challenge. That's not going to happen this season. Obviously, um, we're too far behind. But, I mean, top four now has got to be the absolute minimum and should be really you know 11 games unbeaten in all competitions we do yeah we look as you said you know the cohesion under Lampard wasn't really working mm. and Tuchel's coming with a real idea of how he wants to play I think um, you know one of the things that I've kind of heard is that he's a lot more vocal with the players he talks a lot more to the players um, which with Lampard was apparently lacking in um, didn't really have great relationships with a lot of the players so you know that that's something to to consider. Um, you know we've he's also turned around some of the poorer players mm. as well. And um, you know I've not been a massive fan of Andreas Christensen or um, or Jorginho for for quite a while to be honest. But under Tuchel, they've arguably arguably been some yeah two of our best players. Um, Jorginho in particular, we look like you know confident on the ball, um, wanting to take the ball at the back and actually knowing what to do with it. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, really happy at the moment, really, with with how things are going. Um, you know, now it's just about kind of pushing on to the end of the season, don't lose that pace, and then try and you know get ready for next season when we can really start and then attack some things. In terms of Tuchel overall, you know, he he's a class manager. Um, I think he's he's shown that where wherever he's been, you know, it's not. PSG is is an easy and a difficult job, yeah. um, depending on which way you look at it, you know. And on the one hand, you know, winning Liga is you know, pretty much uh, a doddle <laughs> every year, really. Um, not this season, actually, in the position he left him in, granted. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, he has to deal with a number of world-class and difficult talent at times. And from what the impression I got was that when he left PSG, those players um, were actually disappointed mm-hmm. that he left. Your Neymars and Mbappe, etc. So I think that says a lot about him. They got to a Champions League final under him as well. Um, you know, he's got a good track record in Germany, what he did at Mainz and what he did at Dortmund as well. So we've got the manager, we've got the players now. It's about putting that all together across a season and really trying to attack. Um, yeah, I mean, a trophies really. Um, what do you think of your chances in the second leg of the Champions League, which we'll touch on in a minute? But yeah, obviously he's put you into a strong position going into that quarterfinals. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, it was a great result to go with Atletico. Um, well, mm. to go to Bucharest, really, <laughs> and pick up a 1 0 victory. Um, you know, 
always away, an away goal is is always great. So that 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 was really important. Um, going back home, I would be disappointed if we don't get through. To be honest, to to get that result in the first leg and then not to go through would be really disappointing, especially as we've not lost in the first eleven games under him. Okay, there's a there's the game in between that versus Leeds. Um, so that run may may fall, obviously, but um. You know, if, if, like I said, if we don't get through, I'll be disappointed. Um, the only thing is, is that the record for the most games unbeaten uh, in a row as manager for Chelsea at the start of their of their reign uh, is held by Scolari, bizarrely, um, who has twelve. Um, so that match will be number thirteen. No, yeah, superstition uh, setting in there a little bit. Um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he's not that superstitious. Um, but yeah, no, I'm 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 confident, quietly confident that, that we'll get the job done. And Craig, quick word from you. Um, what do you think if Tuchel doesn't manage to do much this season? Do you think teams should be fearful of them next season? They they should be. You're right, um, Jonathan. Also correct. The the league's way beyond them now, uh, and what they'll be looking at is building for next season. Tuchel will be settling on his best team, what his best formation is. Um, it's his first time managing in the Premier League, so he'll start to really study teams around him this first time that they play them. So that I would fully expect that Tuchel and his squad will come back in August seriously ready for a title challenge. It'll be really, really interesting as well because I would imagine that Liverpool will have to come back strongly. Man City will probably be defending champions and I think next season you're probably going to get maybe a three, potentially four horse race depending on what you need to do as well. So I think next season could be one of the the best title races we've probably had in the last 10 years, in all honesty, between the number of squads. But I would fully expect that Chelsea would be one of the bookie favourites for, for the title next year, absolutely. Right, we'll move into the Champions League and an exciting set of second leg matches we saw. Um, the main ones, really, for me, came on the Tuesday, but we also saw PSG drawing yesterday with Barcelona 1-0. Um, seeing PSG at long last conquer Barcelona, but they were worried at times, especially when Messi equalised with an incredible goal, but he also missed the penalty which was saved by Keylor Navas as well um, but looking also, Leipzig obviously lost to Liverpool 2-0 so on aggregate, Liverpool went through on 4-0, um, obviously I don't know, uh, we kind of felt that that was kind of the way Leipzig would play out and uh, concentrate on the league, but we'll um, talk more about that with Jonathan shortly um, but I wanted to really pick on the two games that happened on the Tuesday night. So we saw Borussia Dortmund draw two all with Sevilla. Haaland double again. Um, some dubious actions for the second goal. Um, VAR played an ultimate part in that. Um, but yeah, not enough for Sevilla. Um, let's start off with you, Andy. Uh, what did you make of Haaland's double? Um, I think we are moving into like the, the Haaland and Bappe generation now. Um, it's another start. It's the first time it's the 0405 season that Messi and Ronaldo have not been involved in the quarterfinals of the Champions League campaign. Um, yeah, and I, I think the thing I like um, about Haaland as well, he, he's got a little bit of spikiness yeah. to him. Um, you know, he's, I mean, you could tell you watch your Premier League as a kid because <laughs> he's straight up with a shithousing. <laughs> 
you know, and it's you know, it's obviously the keeper was giving it giving it to him a little bit, and he gave it right back at the end as well, scoring the goal. And like he's one of those guys that talks to talk and walks to walk. Um, and I think Dortmund are incredibly lucky to have him. And I think they're going to have one hell of a job trying to keep hold of him. I think by all accounts, this release clause, depending on where you read, apparently kicks in next year. So I think at most I'll have another year of him. Um, but yeah, he is, he's just an absolute demon. I mean, the way he just sort of, you know, he's faster than you, he's taller than you, he's stronger than you, and technically better than most of them, most others. Like, he's almost like a perfect footballer. So, yeah, he's just an absolute joy to watch. And uh, Craig, do you think Dortmund are the underdogs now? Because we've, we've never saw this form come about until that first leg. And sort of since then, they've kicked on. And although maybe in the league-wise, they're probably going to do as best to kind of keep to the top six, certainly it feels like now they've got an outside chance of being in the mix for at least a semi-final run. So I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, let's let's see what the draw kicks up. Um, if I was a big team, I would still fancy Dortmund because... Dortmund couldn't keep kids out of a sweet shop <laughs> at the back. They are that poor. <laughs> Going forward, Dortmund, Dortmund will score against anyone. They will. I would back Eric Haaland, first goal scorer against any team in the world. I really would. They are that good. Um, but they will concede goals. They will concede away goals. Sevilla, I actually thought would put Dortmund out. And it's Sevilla have been quite poor over the last kind of fortnight, three weeks. Um, I think Dortmund need to focus on potentially finishing top four in the Bundesliga more than anything else. If Dortmund get Porto, potentially they would go through. But I think if Dortmund get anyone better than that, um, I think they'll be exposed at the back regardless of how many goals they'll score. I actually feel if they got paired up with Porto, Porto would probably go through. Um, but, I mean, you saw their performance against Juventus. And despite the best work of Enrico Chiesa, and we're not going to even mention Ronaldo in this mix because he was absolutely terrible on that match. But Porto were absolutely insane. I mean, Pepe, where was that performance as well? Like, just incredible. Um, just get your thoughts on it, Jonathan, as well. 38 years old and working out big man performances. <laughs> but yeah, no, Jonathan, what was your thoughts on it from looking from the outside? Yeah, I mean, I only saw bits of that one. Um, I wasn't able to, to watch the whole thing, but um, I was shocked. Yeah, I mean, I was shot initially anyway in the first mm. leg when they won um, 2-1. And then, you know, they were down to 10 men. What for well, a large portion of the game as well? Um, you know, Juventus doesn't look like it's going great for them, really, at the moment under under Perlo. Not doing fantastically in the league. A little bit erratic, it seems to be, as well. Um, yeah, it's also, it also makes a nice change to see... Uh, I guess we had it a bit last year, didn't we? But um, you know, Porto, who haven't been that far for for a while, um, getting past a traditional powerhouse, I guess. Even though Juventus haven't really been that great in Europe um, over the last three years, part of me wants to see Ronaldo um, win it with Juventus. You know, just a kind of that I that cherry on top of the cake kind of thing, um, because. You know what he's done in the game is um is is out is outrageous, but um, but yeah, no, not gonna happen this year, is it? Uh, he, he won't be there. Um, and I mean, coming back to Dortmund, you know, um, 
I think those are those are the two teams looking at it at the moment, certainly who most other teams will want to play. Um, you know, because at the end of the day they are still um the weaker of the teams. But they're in there. It would have been better for them last year, um, if they had the kind of one leg shootout kind of situation. Um, over two legs, it's going to be difficult to do that, you know, quarters, semis, etc. Um, but but yeah, no, um, shock result, but um, fair play to Porto for pulling it off. So we'll move into the Bundesliga, and uh, I suppose I'll put here title uh, races blown up open or has it? Question mark. Um, so obviously. All of us kind of saw the Dortmund Bayern match, uh, incredible match. Saw it go to two all at eighty minutes, but then we saw the typical handy flick persistence in terms of pressurized football get the better of Dortmund. And if anything, it was quite alarming to see an experienced player like obviously Emery Chan being pushed off the ball by Leroy Sané, given that his form hasn't been great of late for Bayern Munich. But yeah, they managed to win 4-2 thanks to goals from Leon Goretzka and Robert Lewandowski. Uh, meanwhile, we saw Leipzig continue the form as well, winning 3-0 away at SC Freiburg. Um, obviously, Jonathan, on your podcast, you guys reflected that you felt, or Actually, I think it was Mirko who felt that actually the pressure is on Leipzig to maintain this run because they've gone five much unbeaten, I think I want to quote. I'm not 100% sure on that one. But yeah, I, I felt that when I heard it from your podcast, actually, I think tiredness actually might play a part. A bit like this Liverpool scenario, Bayern Munich have been playing constantly, lots of games. Um, there's a little bit mm. of a scenario that I'll share you in as well. It seems like... Um, Bayern Munich are going to challenge the Polish national team in terms of being able to use Lewandowski for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers um, due to COVID rules and the way mm. that they obviously have to isolate for 14 days. And that would put Bayern in a predicament as well. But just quickly get your thoughts on in terms of the title race at the moment in the Bundesliga. Yeah, so obviously Bayern and Leipzig going head-to-head, you feel, at the moment. Wolfsburg, 10 points behind, um, especially losing to Hoffenheim as well at the weekend of whether they were really in it in the first place. Uh, it's up for debate, but they're certainly not there now. Um, so yeah, it looks like it's going to be a two-horse race between those two. Um, you've got Bayern top, who've been there, done it on a regular basis, um, well, eight years in a row before, before this season, and Leipzig, who have been in this situation as well in the past, kind of second and challenging, but haven't quite been able to um to get themselves over the line. I I, I can't look past Bayern. I just can't look past Bayern because they're um, mentality wise, they just don't blow up. Um, it, it's it's impressive, really. This kind of Mia San Mia attitude of you know, um, winning or and winning or bust effectively, um, which they kind of live and die by. Is, is so impressive, really. And we've seen it on a number of occasions where, you know, they went nine games in a row earlier on in the season where they went behind first and picked up points in every single one of those games. Ironically, the 10th game, they were 2-0 up and then lost 3-2, where it happens sometimes. But, um, no, I mean, I would always, always back them to, to pick up results. Again, you know, at the weekend against Dortmund, 2-0 down after 10 minutes. And, honestly... Still didn't think that they they wouldn't get something out of the game. Then um, they fully deserved it, and you know, yeah, you talk about tiredness and the squad. Bayern don't have the strongest of squads, to be honest. They've got a great first eleven, but 
beyond that, um, it is a bit bare, really. Um, if you look at some of the players, they certainly signed in the summer, like you know, Trooper Motting, um, Buna Sar, Mark Rocker. Um, you know, they've either barely paid or been or been really poor. Um, so there, that is certainly a certainly a question to be asked. Um, if, if they go deeper in the Champions League, they haven't got the Procal, they're out of that, but um. Still, still, all of the reasons. There are plenty of reasons this season to kind of um, argue against Bayern winning the league, but they're going to do it at the end of the day. Um, that's what that's what I think, honestly. Um, I also would be gutted if Leipzig win the league. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll come on to that and, and talk about that topic in a, in a bit. Um, but if you take away everything off the pitch and look just on the pitch, they are a good team. They've got lots of good quality young players and a good manager as well. So they, they play a really um, high-intensity game, really high press as well, um, and it's getting results for them at the moment. It's six six wins in a row um, in the Bundesliga at the moment, um, which has yeah, put them within two points of Bayern. So there's a chance, mm. certainly, you know, with 10 games left. Um, but yeah, like, like I say, it's, uh, it's always going to be Bayern's to lose. What I find also is Bayern seems to be strategically looking at the next stage. So it looks like, by all accounts, they're going to get Upecano from Leipzig, and that's sort of being confirmed. But they're also getting the left back from Reading. Uh, I think his name is Richards. I know this is his surname. But yeah, it seems like they're already building this nucleus of backups or you know challenges. Believe Opacano is really the replacement of Alaba, to be honest. But yeah, I'm sure there's more to come in the next few months. Certainly, um, is there a particular area that you feel like Bayern kind of need to really strengthen? Um, honestly, there are a number of positions that they could um, arguably do in the recruits. We look at the goalkeeper situation. Um, you know, Neuer is still um, more than good enough to be number one um, in any competition, but. He's not getting younger. Um, and they've got Nubel um, as backup, who, you know, since joining from Schalke, have barely got a look in. Um, the fullback situation, again, it's... We look at Pavard being out. They've played Nicolas Sula um, mm. at right-back, who honestly isn't isn't the best since <laughs> half. So, um, never mind at right-back. Um, but left, yeah, I mean, left-back, you know, they're covered. Central defender, they've got a Pamicano. Um, I could argue they still need another centre back if you're looking at Boateng, um, you know, potentially leaving um and yeah, with Sula still there anyway. Um I I think particularly they need a backup striker because if Lewandowski gets injured, um they are in trouble. Mm. You know, he he is so good that yeah, losing him, um haven't really lost him for a long amount of yeah. time. Um, he was out for a little bit yeah. last season, about three or four weeks, but um, you know it certainly wasn't that long. And if he were to get injured, then they would be they would be in, in real trouble. So I think particularly centre half and striker to answer your question a little bit longer. Cool. Um, but yeah, I think centre half and striker particularly is where they could uh, where they could look to not necessarily sign better than what they've mm. got, but at least strong solid backup. I would love to know who Cooper Moting's agent <laughs> is. I mean, to go from Stoke City to PSG, where he did not very much apart from miss an open goal, and then to Bayern Munich. Like, if ever an agent deserves his uh, 10%, <laughs> then whoever his is, he deserves a raise. Genius. Genius, isn't it? But I think he's just one of those players who, like, 
you don't get them very often, but he he is obviously he must be a decent player, right? If if those two teams actually wanted to play for them. Um but he's just happy to be like a proper backup. Mm. He never wants more. You know, he's not really pushing to play every week and he's never going to ask for that, right? He's just happy to be there. He's he's you know, he's he's there in the background just like like I say, just just enjoying being there. Um so I guess you don't get those players that many that that often, right? You know, you are just totally happy to be nothing but backups and won't ever really ask for more. You know, you're right. He's probably going to end, and like I said, he's probably going to end up with like more league trophies than Harry Kane. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd just be like, "Well, it's not like, hard, is it?" Well, that's true, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> Eric Chupamotin is going to have like a, an absolutely banging trophy cabinet um, for contributing not very much. But I guess it's that, you know, for him it's going, well, I could play 10 games to win a trophy or I could go to a mid-table club, play 30 games a season and win a grand total of deadly squat. So I can understand the logic, to be fair. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Stoke or Paris and Munich... <laughs> Um, just places to live. I mean, that might that might play a little bit of a role as well. We'll quickly reflect on some of the other results. So, Mönchengladbach lost again, 1-0 to Leverkusen. Um, Craig, I know you've got a burning question around Mönchengladbach to ask Jonathan, so if I give you the floor. Yeah, and the reason I asked, I wanted to ask Jonathan this question was Leverkusen and Gladbach are the two shittest form teams in the Bundesliga. And it was almost a, a, a kind of contest of who would be less shit at the weekend and it was obviously glad by what I wanted to ask Jonathan was in your opinion and what you're hearing in Germany is is this just the Marco Rosa effect has it really fallen off just because he's announced he's leaving or is there something deeper rooted in that I know Lars Stindl is playing well but he's not getting any younger either um, is there sort of a bigger problem at Gladbach than the obvious um, yeah I mean in in the short term it you can't look beyond the the Rosa situation. Um, you know, they've got they've lost five games in a row since he announced that that he's leaving. Um, so and that that says it all. Sometimes the stats just don't lie. Um, so yeah, it, it's having a big impact on them. Um, there's you know we we talked about it on on the Bundesliga diaries. Um, about you know if fans were in the stadium, um, would he still be there? And you know that, that's a really good question because with you know the supporters on your back, um, you know effectively for ninety minutes every single week, Max Abel would have a diff- difficult thing to make. I think at the moment they're kind of getting away with it. Um, having said that, I'm, I remember saying on 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 the pod, um, you know, months ago really that it feels like Gladbach are going to kind of fall apart at some point because they were nicking results and, and nicking um, games pretty much every week and this has kind of been the yeah the, the breaking point let's say um, this decision but I'm, I'm not 100% surprised to see them them losing games every week at the moment if I'm honest um, and you know let's City they were always going to lose Leverkusen have had their own poor form anyway but they're also a really good side, so that's not that much of um of a shock. They played Dortmund in the cup as well. You know, again, another team that are probably gonna you feel like they would lose to anyway. Um I think the Mainz one in particular was the one where you you'd be shocked about it. But um but yeah, it's it's worse now with Rosa leaving, but I you could argue it's been coming for, for a while. 
Right, we'll reflect on some of the other results. So Frankfurt drew one all with Stuttgart. Hoffenheim pulled off an amazing result against Wolfsburg, winning 2-1. Our favourites on the show, Schalke, continue to uh, disappoint or uh, live to expectations, depending on how you look at it. So uh, drawing 0-0 against um, Mainz, I think it was. Um, But yes, um, Schalke also appointed their fifth manager of the season. Uh, I loved Mirko's comments on the Schalke match, by the way. Uh, terrible win or terrible game, as he put it. I think it was like he, you guys alluded to. I think it was 70th minute until we saw a shot on target. So, uh, yeah, not a game for the neutral by all accounts. Um, but, yeah, no, um, I was going to say, if he's ever seen West Brom versus Newcastle, that's probably on par with what that was potentially. But, yes, um, yeah. Um, but the other thing we wanted to uh, really pick on is also Hertha Berlin. Uh, last week on the pod, we were talking about how they're being dragged into it and they pull off a 2-1 win against Augsburg. Um, obviously, a much-needed three points. And I suppose on that point as well, um, Jonathan, we're starting to see a lot of those kind of bigger clubs being dragged into the Bundesliga 2 these days. Um, historically, we've seen the likes of Kaiserschalten, Obviously, we're referring to right now Schalke and Craig even said last week that we actually felt that Hertha would be an even bigger shock. But we're even seeing the likes of, say, Hamburg really struggle to get out of the mm. Bundesliga too. So in terms of that, I mean, what's the feeling around these kind of big nostalgic clubs being brought back down to life and kind of going down the pyramid? I think it says a lot about the Bundesliga, really. It's possible that, that these massive sides, they... They can just drop down to to start the Bundesliga. I, I I know a lot of people look at the Bundesliga and go, "Ah, oh, it's boring. Bayern win the league every season." If you took Bayern out of the equation, Bundes the Bundesliga is one of, if not the most competitive league um, in mm-hmm. Europe for me. Um, and you know, Wolfsburg spent two seasons in 16th place and are now third in the table um, after finishing you know, in, in the Europa League spots last season. So. You know, it, it can change very quickly. Um, Hamburg, yeah, you know, they they're, they spent a few years now in the fight of Bundesliga. Stuttgart as well went down and then came back up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Schalke have gone, so they're going to be they're going to be the next one to to go down as well. So it's certainly something that that can happen. Um, you know, mismanagement and, and the way that clubs are run sometimes, um, clearly in Schalke's case, is. Uh, it's perhaps a little bit worrying, but um, you know, yeah, like I say, it's it's just the competitiveness of the league really, mm. that, that it can happen, and, and teams can drop down if only for a season or however long it may be. And if we go to the other end, so we've got a listener question from William Shave Peak that asks, have, "What have you made of the sustainable growth of Union Berlin, and why is there fewer imitations of Union versus your financial doppers like Hoffenheim and RB Leipzig?" Well, I think it, it's probably hard to kind of replicate what, what Union is and, and what it stands for. You know, what you're talking about there is, and we're talking about years ago, but a team that's from East mm. East Germany, you know, um, which is, yeah, been kind of left in the doldrums by, by German football anyway, um, to kind of fend, fend, fend for itself. Um you know, they almost lost their stadium. The fans had to build the stadium. Um, Berlin 
in, in the city in itself is uh is just a very different than than a lot of cities anyway. Um, so if you put all of certainly the East Berlin, East Berlin anyway, which is when where where Union is is based. Um, which and I know the wall and the, the situation isn't there anymore, but the after effects are there. Sometimes mm. you you can see it. So yeah, I, I guess Union is a one one of a kind kind of club, but it's so hard to replicate all of those kind of different factors into that as to why they are um, the club that they are. That yeah, it's impossible. It's possible to really do that. Um, their history and and the yeah the the downfalls and the pitfalls that, that they've encountered um, really contributes to to who they are. And yeah, it, I. I live in Berlin and um yeah I love going to the Outer Forsterei and seeing it and just the atmosphere and the whole kind of feeling around the club. Um it, it's brilliant. So maybe it makes them better that they are one mm. of a kind, I guess, to an extent. Perhaps that's part of the appeal behind them. Um yes, I mean yeah, another thing you can talk about whether you want to see every club <laughs> like that. And Craig, you've got a similar sort of style question which is around the ownership model. So mm. I'll give it the floor to you as well thanks yeah jonathan what i wanted to ask was talking about bayern's dominance um and i don't know that special managers like klopp come around once in a while and they can challenge but it looks like bayern munich will win the league again this year um if Agelsman goes then it looks like leipzig probably won't challenge the year after um and what i was wondering was can a team organically grow to challenge a bayern munich or Will it take more clubs abandoning the 50 plus one rule um, and then getting that corporate investment to really create a, a, a legitimate year on year challenger to Bayern Munich? Um, it probably would. I mean, it probably would um, need clubs to, to, to change them and go against 50 plus one. Um, you know, I mean, there are some clubs that aren't on 50 plus one rules anyway at the moment, you know, um, with. Wolfsburg and Leverkusen and Hoffenheim are all situations where, um, yeah, because of a certain amount of time that they've been owned by one person or one company, um, they're allowed to circumnavigate navigate the rules. If people don't know what 50 plus one rule is, it means that 50 plus 1% of the club is owned by the fans, whereas the 49% is owned by you know one investor or the investors, however much it may be. But you can circumnavigate the you can um, circumnavigate those rules if you have been, yeah, the sole investor or a big investor for twenty years, um, and that's the case with Dietmar Harp and Bayer at Leverkusen and Volkswagen at Wolfsburg. Um, there's those three cases in particular. I guess the the um, the pinup of uh, the anti fifty plus one rule is is Leipzig, who technically are actually abiding by the rules of fifty plus one. The only thing is, is that it costs a thousand uh, euros to apply to be a member at Leipzig, um, and then the committee decides whether you can actually become a member or not. There's only about, I mean, maybe fifteen to thirty members anyway, um, of which all of them actually work for Red Bull, uh, which kind of uh, shows what Leipzig are um, as a club. I mean, we, we could talk about Leipzig and and everything that's wrong with them for for a whole the whole of the episode, to be honest. But um, yeah, those are the fifty plus one kind of examples that you've got at the moment that aren't really going with fifty plus one. Uh, kind of the exceptions, but all the other clubs abide by it and or you know uh, are subject to those rules. So, um, you are right when you say that if 
more clubs abandoned 50 plus one, would the Bundesliga be more competitive? It probably would. Yeah, I, I would agree. But part of the beauty of German football is that the, the clubs and the football belong to the fans, right? And even if there's Bayern winning the league every season, um, yeah, Bayern winning all the time, you've still got everything that's great around German football at all, and most of the other clubs, right? That the fans are having a voice and everything that happens, the atmosphere at the stadiums, how they criticise not only the clubs, but also, um, you know, the, the authorities in German football as well, like the DFB, um, or the DFL, whenever it comes to it. Um, and I think for a lot of fans, that's that's more important. That's far more important. Um, you know, and the fans do have a voice in Germany. That's the thing here. You know, there's no, there's going to be no Monday games from next season because the fans refused to allow it to happen. They protested and protested and protested. Um, and, and that was abandoned. And, you know, they, they continue to protest for what they think is right. Um, so... I, the last thing I want, and I think most German fans want, is to become the Premier League, which doesn't care um, who owns the clubs and doesn't care. Now, I'm probably rich for me saying that I'm a Chelsea fan who are owned by a Russian oligarch at the end of the day. Um, you know, I kind of got used to that. that. That's the way that English football is now. But it's not like that in Germany. And, you know, the danger of Leipzig is that uh, yeah, it's only one club, right? But what if they set a model for loads of other brands to start buying buying clubs and just circumnavigate and be you know in fifty years time we're looking at a whole horde of those kind of clubs. So that's that is danger. It really is a danger. And that's why I think that fifty plus one is it's it's more important than the competition, really. It is more important than than that. If you ask most fans, they would want Bayern to win the league over Leipzig, even though they've won the last eight. Yeah. They really would. So yeah, it, it depends what you want, really. And I would say I'm in the camp where I, I want the traditions of German football to stay as they are rather than, um, yeah, maybe a bit more competition, but the kind of values to be lost along the way. The question I would have is uh, how, why is it that um, Leipzig in particular um, are so badly hated when you know as when as you've mentioned you've got Wolfsburg with a long-standing partnership with Volkswagen so you know by Leverkusen also Hoffenheim who are banked mm. well by um, quite a rich billionaire themselves because you know I, I do see Leipzig from an outside perspective I know they basically stole the club put their branding on it and it's all quite brash it's quite abrasive and all that kind of stuff so I know it grates on fans at that point of view but when you look at the football side of it they're not a PSG or a um, or Man City, where they've got owners with a dubious human, come from countries with a dubious human rights record. They're not out there buying the absolute biggest Galacticos that you can get out there and just trying to put in you know, stupidly high paid stars on big wages. They seem to promote good, they seem to source good young, good young players, give those young players are kind of the chances. And if you look at the likes of Timo Werner, um, some of the American lads that they've brought through, like Tyler Adams coming through, they've used that network to bring that through quite well. So it seems like a football philosophy. They seem to have a more identifiable football philosophy, but it seems, why is it that they're hated more? I suppose is a bit of a long-winded way of asking. Um, so much to, to, to dive into there, really. Um, I mean, yeah, the, the reason why Leipzig are so particularly hated now is that, I mean, before it was Wolfsburg and Leverkusen and, and Hoffenheim, those were the clubs that the fans disliked the most. But Leipzig have, in all of those clubs, 
you know, Bayer Leverkusen were created as a as a team for the workers of, of Bayer, and um, it's the same for Wolfsburg with Volkswagen. So, you know, those clubs, although they circumnavigate this 50 plus one role, which is so important in, in German football, they were still created as a pure football team at the end of the day, right? And Hoffenheim's the same, you know, they had a lot of investment from a, from a local fan, but they were a football team before, um, you know, they, they ascended to the Bundesliga. Leipzig are a, are a marketing tool for an energy drink. And, and that is the, the fact of the matter. It, it really is. Um, they bought the rights of another club, um, Mark, Mark and Stadt, um is, is the name in, yeah, barely been around, what, 12 years now, I think it is, something like that for, for Leipzig. Um, and, you know, they, they, they attempted to buy a number of clubs before that, actually. You know, they even tried to buy San Paoli, incredibly, um, one of the most anti-establishment clubs that you could um, come across um, and, and even tried to go for them. So, yeah, I mean, they, they just wanted a club. They just wanted a, a tool for them. Um, and they, yeah, ascended like that. In terms of your other point, in, in terms of their footballing philosophy, um, the reason is why they do what they do is because it would cost them too much money to go and buy, pay the same money for the likes of an Mbappe or, um, you know, a 60, 70 million on what Manchester City do or even what Chelsea do, really. Um, it, it, it would be too expensive. What they do is they buy players young and they sell them on because it makes money for Red Bull. Um, and, yeah, it, it probably comes across well in terms of... And I think this is the, the narrative, certainly in the English press, is that Leipzig are a... Are a great example in terms of how they how they run it how how they run the club um yeah which is if you if you look at it to an extent i can see where they're coming from but you know they do it for they still do it for for certain reasons right and you know the owner um Matt Masterwitz, um has a, a checkered record certainly with um his own uh, political beliefs um as well so you know he's certainly that's the owner of Red Bull that's the owner of Red Bull so he's not um you know, particularly um, clean either. Um, we, we're getting into a very kind of political debate if we start looking at it from another way. But what Abu, you know, what Man City owners and, and perhaps um, the PSG owners are doing is, is sports washing to an extent, right? And yeah. that's not really what Red Bull are doing. They're a brand. So they are just going to throw money at a club because they know that the investment and their return on that investment is not really going to be seen there. Um, and so that's why it makes more sense for them to, yeah, pay 15 million euros for Timo Werner and sell him 52 um, and and sign Pamecano for peanuts and then sell him for 42 million euros to, to, to buy him. That makes perfect sense for them. It works. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, whether it's right or not is is is, is another question, but that's the reason. So it's more the re- it's more the reasons why we're doing it as opposed to what we're doing. It's more the reasonings and the moles behind what we're doing, which is a bit that great fans. Now that makes probably a bit more sense to be fair, because obviously I knew a little bit about obviously where their origins were and why they were taken over. Um, but yeah, it shows obviously there is a lot more than just the outrageous branding as to why we're doing it because I guess they don't just function as you said as a football club so yeah thanks mm. it's a make, makes a lot more sense yeah there's plenty, there's plenty of reading out there reading out there to cover you know if, if you if you want to kind of look at it um it, it's yeah it's really interesting there are some people like um particularly Matt Ford um 
does a lot on on, on those kind that kind of thing. Um, Felix Tamzut as well will also cover that kind of thing as well on why it's such a such a hot topic in Germany. Um, if you you know kind of looking for any more um any more reading on that really. I wanted to kind of cover off Germany as well, um, because one of my questions was ruined by the announcement this week by Joachim Love actually deciding he's going to step down from the German national side. And I suppose um, what I was keen to understand is there's a number of different elements, but if we start off with the national coach scenario, um, do we feel Oliver Bierhoff is going to take the plunge and take on someone like a Ralph Ragnick or do you think he's still going to go with a progressive young up-and-coming coach to take on that role? Certainly an interesting one. There are a number of candidates you could look at. Um, Ragnick has pretty much already put himself in the frame. You know, he said that he would be very interested in taking it. It's a decision to make now because he might not be free um, in a few months. So, you know, it remains to be seen um, what happens with him. In terms of the the young in terms of the progressive young young coaches that you that you're looking at, um, I mean, in terms of who they would be who they would want, Hansi Flick at Bayern, you know, he's he's doing well at Bayern. Um, mm. I don't know why he would leave them. Nagelsmann probably wants the Bayern job, if I'm honest, um, or you know the the Liverpool job or another big club job. I would say before he already commits to um, the national team job. Yeah, Klopp has been mentioned, but it seems that he he wants to stay at Liverpool certainly for the time being. Anyway, in a few years that may change, but for now um, he wants to stay stay at Anfield. So kind of rules him out. Um, there's been met, you know, Stefan Kuntz's name has been mentioned. Um, England fans will be familiar <laughs> with him, but um, you know, he was um, he's done a good job with the, with the youth team um, for the Germany as well. So you know, he's kind of already in the system to an extent. Um, I think they would be two of the main ones. Ranić, he's not young, but he is progressive. You know how he has kind of shaped German football over the last twenty years um, with his ideas and being a part of the the team that kind of revolutionised German football, um, sort of youth football after Euro two thousand. Um, means that you know I still think he have plenty to give mm. to Germany. Um, it, it will be interesting to see who they go for, but. I, I could see that. I could see Ranić um, really high up the list. Um, whether that's because of the lack of other options mm. or because he's the best man that's up for debate, I think he would be a really good option. But um, yeah, they may want somebody else, but it seems a lot of them are unattainable. Mm. And what about the squad itself? Because obviously uh, Germany got Musiala more recently to obviously commit to the German national side. And there seems to be this kind of glut of needing to bring in and bleed in a few more players into that squad right now. They had an iffy kind of set of results before COVID kind of hit as well. That probably hasn't helped. I mean, for probably the best part of two years, Joachim Love has been scrutinised around how he's, you know, developing that squad right now. Um, even to the extent that he obviously singled out the likes of uh, Muller and Boateng out of that squad and brought in some more younger players, so to speak, to replace them. But obviously, he's not got that blend right now. Um, but we should never write off the Germans, right, when it comes to any kind of tournament. Um, they always seem to somehow pull it out. Do we get that feeling this time round? Yeah, I mean, like you said it there exactly at the end. You can never write off Germany, um, and, and that's a, the big thing to remember with them. 
um, in terms of the the Hummels Boateng um, Muller situation. I mean, there's reports that they're actually going to be in the squad for the Euros. Love has already insinuated that he's thinking about it, um, and the reports from Kicker, um, which is kind of like the big, um, yeah magazine in Germany that covers football um, reported they are going to be um, certainly in contention, um, which makes sense, to be honest. Now that he's leaving, he can kind of do that and, and just go and attack the Euros in itself. Um, why he ever decided to say that Muller was definitely not going to play for Germany um, at any point in, in the future was ridiculous. Um, I mean, Boateng and Hummels, you could argue, they perhaps weren't at their best, um, um, but... <laughs> Muller has been arguably at his best for the last year, eighteen months. Um, so for him to rule him out was 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 bizarre. Um, there is there is quality in Germany squad. You know, it's not really gone well for them. I mean, you know, you look at the the, the six nil against against Spain, and that was you know embarrassing certainly. Um, and yeah, that won't be forgotten quickly, but. There, there is plenty of talent in Germany, um, in Germany's squad, and I think with him leaving, it's perhaps a blessing in disguise for Germany because they can now attack the Euros without any, you know, thinking of beyond what happens there and looking at the World Cup or who the next manager is. Just go and attack it. Um, I don't think they'll win it. I just think there are stronger teams who are further down that have a development, um, have a better idea of what they're doing, um, and, and a more settled squad. If you look at France. Um, in particular, perhaps Belgium will still be in and around it. Portugal are another favourite, so mm. I don't think they'll be quite as good as them, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them make semi-finals, if I'm honest. I really wouldn't, because they do have the ability in the squad. Um, yeah, it remains to be seen. Um, I think there's a lot of you know debate about what's going to happen with the Euros, where it's going to be played. Um, it's still kind of up in the air, so you know, it may also have an impact um, on certain things, but yeah, they won't win it. Mm. I'm going to commit myself already <laughs> saying that, but um, I do think they will. Um, I, I think they'll they'll surprise a few. And we'll give you a breather in a second. I'm just going to leave it on this lighter note. What did the German FA <laughs> think of Joachim Love's sniffing antics? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's just been weird. Um even when he got caught doing it, he still did it. That was the weirdest thing about the whole thing. Like you've, you've, you've known the fact that people have got you on camera doing it. You just carry it on. Um, brazen, you could say. Uh, but yeah, um, there's been no official announcement on the the, F- the, the FB's thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting much, but yes, we'll move into Scotland. So, uh, Craig. <laughs> Rangers, champions of Scotland, sweet words for you, I'm no doubt. Um, but largely down to Celtic being unable to beat Dundee United. So a bit of a surprise given the gulf of difference between those squads. But you won't care any matter about that. So I suppose next steps is what is Gerard going to do next? Uh, we did have that question around from the Blue Brothers podcast who asked around what's next for Gerard. Um, but I think it was kind of summed up pretty much by an interview where he said he wants to achieve more. He wants to win more with Rangers. And I can see you're smiling endlessly at the moment. Um, but before we go to you and get your thoughts on that, um, Andy, um, where do you think is next for Gerard? I mean, for the sort of immediate future, it's staying where he is. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I think a few people have got up in this hyperbole. Oh, if Klopp leaves, Gerrard comes in. Like, that should be a conversation for now. I think um, Gerrard's shown that he can handle the pressure of managing a big club. Like, you know, I don't I don't care for people's opinion. Oh, it's only Scotland. Only one or two, two teams could win. Mentally, the pressure of that managing that club has broken managers in the past sort of 10 years, as Craig will probably attest to. Um, so mentality-wise, you know he's got it in him. And if you look at his performances in Europe, where you're arguably playing a much higher calibre of opposition week in, week out, um, Gerard's proved it. And if he continues that, say, I don't know, say for the next three years, and Klopp does decide to go on pastures new, whether it be to Germany or elsewhere, then I think think he would earn the right as a manager to get the Liverpool job. Like, you know, I think they want to be in a position where even if Steven Gerrard didn't have the status he has at Liverpool to be able to be the contender for that job. Um, so, yeah, I think the immediate future is him sticking where he is. Because I don't, I think someone said, I think someone mentioned the other day, it's like, oh, we should go to a mid table Premier League club. But do what? Like, what yeah, is exactly. he going to get out of his career by going to um, a Crystal Palace and getting maybe ninth or tenth in the table with no European football? Like, that's not going to do your reputation any good. Um, so, yeah, I think. Stay, stay where he is and keep going because the fans love him, the players love him. The you know, the whole club's probably run the best it has for you know a decade. So yeah, carry on. And Craig, let's get your thoughts. So Gerard's amazing for you guys. And where's next for him? I think Gerard has almost unfinished business at Rangers. Um, I can't see him going anywhere right now. Um, he was asked the question in an interview. Um, whether he wanted to go to Liverpool and he was quite quite honest about it and said he wants to be Liverpool manager one day but that's not not right now I think Klopp will stay on at Liverpool and Steven Gerrard will stay on at Rangers I think if we can get another year or two of, of Steven another few trophies another few title wins um, we'll happily let him go with their blessing but there's definitely some unfinished business there and why, why would he want to leave now he's um, qualified for the Champions League um, you know, a great chance to go in and win a title again. Um, I'd be amazed if we're not favourites to win it again. The Celtic team are going to have to go through an enormous rebuilding process. So, you know, he's put a lot of work into this him and the backroom staff. Um, and I think it's now time for them to enjoy the fruits of their labour, um, enjoy next season. We should be comfortable winners. Um, and enjoy a, a trip into the Champions League. Definitely. And you guys obviously just grounded out a one-all draw with Slavia Prague. So, yeah. It's going to be an interesting return leg at Rangers now as well, right? Yeah, so yeah, a good hard fought draw away to, to Slavia Prague, who are they're no mugs, they're not an enormous you know name in Europe, but they did put Leicester out in the last round. Mm. Um they're a good solid squad, very powerful. Um getting an away goal in a European tie is always favourable. But to come back to Glasgow, which has been such a fortress for us this season, our defensive record at home is, is excellent. Um and to go into that all needed a nil nil draw. Um would be great. This was a, it was this point last season we got knocked out by Leverkusen. So to beat Slavia Prague potentially going to the next round into the quarterfinals of a European the tournament, it's not something that Scottish teams do very often. And you have to go back to 2008. The Rangers got to the final with the last time to do that. So you know for us to come back up um, to win the league this year, potentially get into the last eight of a European um, 
trophy is just it's just a fantastic achievement for Stephen and the team. So yeah, it's a very, very good time to be a Rangers supporter. Well, congratulations to all the Rangers fans that I know are listening to our podcast. So well done to you as well as you, Craig. So uh, congrats and uh, hopefully there'll be more to come. Uh, we'll quickly just cover off Serie A. So some really important wins for the top four. Roma, Craig, your team won 1-0 against Genoa. A Mancini header from a corner. Juventus won 3-1 against Lazio, despite Lazio taking initially the lead. And Morata Dabble, as well as Rabio with some incredible like acrobatics there for his goal. Um, Verona also lost 2-0 to AC Milan, Kruncic and Dalit. And then we had the big game, which was on Monday night, Inter Milan beating Atalanta. 1-0 Skriniar there with the win. Um, also, special shout-out to Crotone, who won 4-2 against Torino, who are now being dragged into that relegation battle. So, looking across that, we can see Inter Milan still top alongside AC Milan. And then you've got Juventus in third and Roma in fourth place. So we'll move into part two. So, Craig, let the listener know about some of the juicy fixtures that are happening this weekend. Okay, so we'll start off on Friday night. We've got Bochum uh, are playing Hamburg at half past five. Now, we don't usually go to the this Vita Bundesliga, but that's first playing third. Uh, and Hamburg really need to win there to, to put their promotion bid back on track. Um, staying in Germany, we've got Augsburg versus Gladbach at half past seven. Um Atalanta plays Spezia, quarter to eight, and then Newcastle versus Villa is at eight o'clock. Uh, into Saturday, we've got Leeds versus Chelsea, half past 12. Uh, Werder Bremen play Bayern Munich at half past two. Wickham play Preston at three o'clock. Also at three o'clock, we've got Palace versus West Brom. Again, not a game I would usually watch, um, <laughs> but got some added complications and some spice due to who's potentially going down in the league. Uh, Real Madrid play Elche. Elche, who beat Sevilla last week, so that should be good at quarter past three. Dortmund play Hertha, half past five. Everton Burnley is half past five. Um, Getafe host Atletico and Fulham versus Man City, both at eight o'clock. Into Sunday, Southampton versus Brighton at 12. Leverkusen play Bielefeld at half past two. Uh, Torino versus Inter and Parma versus Roma, both at two o'clock. Leipzig play Frankfurt at half past two. Uh, four o'clock, a few games. We've got Monaco versus Lille, so that's top versus fourth in France. Arsenal play Spurs at half past four. Stuttgart versus Hoffenheim and Cagliari versus Juventus, both at five o'clock. Man United play West Ham, the David Moyes derby at quarter past seven. Um, the big game in Italy this weekend, you've got Milan versus Napoli at quarter to eight. And then at eight o'clock, rounding off the weekend fixtures, you've got Sevilla versus Betis, which is a massive derby in the south of Spain, and also PSG versus Nantes. Um, and then, of course, the return of the Champions League on, on Tuesday and Wednesday. So another yeah, another seven days, Adam, of absolutely packed football. So, yeah, lots yeah. to look forward to. Right, we'll move into the end of the show. So thank you, listener. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you can do us a favour, drop us a review or subscribe to the pod. Um, so without further ado, thanking you, Jonathan, from the Bundesliga Diaries. Um, some incredible insight from you and loved every minute of it. And uh, for the benefit of the listener, where can they catch you guys and more importantly, your podcast? Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, 
I hope I didn't rant too much about Leipzig. <laughs> um, in terms of uh, finding the podcasts, um, we're on uh, Twitter at bully underscore diaries. Um, generally sharing some news about um, German football on there. Um, in terms of finding the podcast, we're on um, yeah all your usual podcast players, Spotify, iTunes, um, and then whatever's on your phone, I guess. Um, and if you want to send us something a bit more in detail, um, a, a longer message, uh, fans at bundesliga-diaries.com. Um, we do read them so <laughs> if you want to contact us then uh, please do just now thanking you for being on the show really insightful so without further ado thanking you Andy and Craig wishing you to a good weekend and same to you Jonathan and to the listener hope you have a good weekend or week whenever you're listening to this and thank you and goodbye <laughs>